Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you all this morning. Thanks for coming up. Today, I want to talk to you about something that you see here at Mount Olive every time you come to church here. I want to talk to you about these robes that the vicar and I wear. You see the vicar's got a white robe on, right? I got a a white robe on. Did you know that these are a picture? They're not just clothes. They're a picture. One of the nice things about these robes is that you don't have to worry about what I'm wearing. You don't have to think, boy, that's an ugly shirt. Why is he wearing that shirt? That's an ugly tie. Why is he wearing that tie? Right? It's just the same thing every week. You kind of get used to it, and it's not a distraction. But that's not the real reason we wear these robes. In fact, did you know that you are wearing a white robe today? It's true. You are. You might not be able to see it with your eyes like you could see my white robe, but this white robe is a picture of the white robe that you are all wearing. In fact, everyone in here who is baptized is wearing one of these robes. At our baptism, God gives us the white robe of Jesus's righteousness. That's a really big word, righteousness. Can you say that with me? Righteousness. Big word. It means all the good stuff that Jesus did in his life, all the times that he perfectly obeyed God and never sinned, which was every moment of his entire life, that's Jesus' righteousness. And when we're baptized, God says that we are given a robe of Christ's righteousness. It's a perfect robe. It covers up all our sin. All our sin has been taken away by Jesus. And when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see all the bad stuff we do. He sees the white robe of Jesus's righteousness made white in the blood of Jesus. Today we're going to hear a very cool picture In the New Testament book of Revelation, we're going to hear about all these people standing in heaven wearing the white robe of Jesus' righteousness. It's an awesome picture. The white robe of Jesus' righteousness means we get to be with God forever and ever. Let's say a prayer and ask God to help us listen to his word today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for obeying the law of your Father every single day of your life. We thank you for being righteous, and we thank you for giving that righteousness to us in our baptisms. We thank you for giving it to us so that we can spend forever with you in heaven. We can't wait to be with you forever in heaven, dear Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus on for a little while this morning comes from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, And were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the book of Revelation is obviously an awesome picture full of scenes that the Apostle John saw and then wrote down with words to tell us what he saw. And the place I want to start is with this phrase, great tribulation. So this scene that John is seeing is all these people robed in white and they have been called out of the great tribulation. It's a word you probably don't use very often, but we have that phrase in English, trials and tribulations. So I'm confident you know what it means. It's suffering, it's affliction, it's oppression. These are people who were suffering, who were afflicted, who were oppressed, who were enduring a great tribulation in the past, and now they've been called out of it. And they're no longer in it. So we're going to get there in a minute, but we we really need to focus first on, well, what exactly is the tribulation? What is this great time of suffering and affliction and oppression? And if you're reading the book of Revelation recently, you might remember that the chapters immediately before this do describe that time of tribulation. It really starts in chapter 5, where the Apostle John reports seeing a scroll And the scroll has been sealed up with seven seals. And it becomes clear that no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth is able to open the seals. Therefore, what's on the scroll remains hidden. And this brings so much angst to John that he begins to weep. He is weeping over the fact that this message of the scroll is not going to be made known to anyone. And that's when one of the elders comes to him and says, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John looks and he sees the lamb, Jesus, 
looking as though he had been slain. And he's at the center of the throne. And there's all this praise of Jesus who's going to open the seals. And then he begins to open the seals one by one. The first one is the trickiest, and we're going to come back to this. He opens the seal, and what does John see right away? A white horse with a rider, with a crown and a bow, a bow and arrow, and he's going to ride out across the earth. Then he opens the second seal, and there's a red horse. I'm going to read you this section so you can hear it. It's real, real quick. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Horses two, three, and four are agreed upon by Christians. We know what they represent. That red horse represents continual warfare before Judgment Day. And we see that. Bloodshed all around the world all the time. The black horse represents famine. There's been times in the not-too-distant past, maybe some of you have a relative who grew up during the Depression, maybe some of you were close, but maybe don't remember it too well. Those were hard times. I remember hearing stories from my grandfather about suppers of Wonder Bread with sugar and milk. That was dinner. It's hard to imagine these days, isn't it? A time when a loaf of bread was about all you could afford. You work a whole day and you get a loaf of bread. That's pretty much what we're talking about here. A couple pounds of flour for working all day. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? That black horse is famine. Jesus says there will be famine all the way up till judgment day all around the world. We see that. Then this pale green horse, the color of death. Death by all means, but especially diseases, warfare, tragic deaths. These horses have been riding around for the last 2,000 years. Constant warfare, constant famine, constant death. There are some who think that the white horse is gospel proclamation throughout the world. Listen to the description. Maybe you'll understand why some might think that. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest 
while warfare, famine, and death rage around us, the gospel's being preached and will continue to be preached until the end of time. And the preaching of the gospel is taking place within this context of war, famine, and death. That, that makes sense. You could understand why someone would think that, right? But there's another option that I think might be a, a better one. And while I wouldn't go so far as to say someone who's convinced this is Jesus is wrong, I think this other interpretation is likely the the right one. There are many who believe this represents tyranny. Tyrants come at all levels. You could have a tyrant king, a tyrant dictator. You could have a, a tyrant governor of a state or a tyrant local official. You could have a tyrant who wears the badge and is a police officer. You could have a tyrant in the home. Mom or dad could be tyrannical. A tyrant is someone who has authority, but they abuse it. And they abuse it as though it's their divine right to abuse it, as though they're doing God a favor as they abuse it, hence the the white. And the bow and arrow is almost always in Scripture a picture of earthly power. When God in the Old Testament talks about the battle bow being broken, he's talking about the power of earthly powers being broken. So a tyrant is someone who uses earthly strength, the earthly ability to intimidate, to achieve the crown. And they do it as though they are God or God's servant. And so I think what this is saying is that until the end, there's going to be tyranny, which there has been and will continue to be, at all levels. Even in America, we can have tyranny in the home, At local levels, at all these different levels, you can see tyranny all around us. Tyranny, warfare, famine, and death. And oh, by the way, the fifth seal is martyrdom. People dying not of sickness or disease, but because they're Christians. So the first five seals are opening up to us what the great tribulation is like. These horses have been riding through backyards for 2,000 years. They've been riding through your backyard your whole life. And you feel it, don't you? You know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to be oppressed. You know what it's like to be afflicted. You and I, we are where? In the great tribulation. Now. Right now. Now I want you to think for a moment. When these things are worrying you, when they are impacting you, when tyranny, warfare, famine, and death are worrying you the most, where do you tend to find the most comfort in this life? Is it not usually at home? Is it not usually with your loved ones? I know that's not always true. Maybe sometimes you find your comfort in other good, God-pleasing places, but don't you often find that solace when the family is gathered together around the table? When the doors are locked and no one can harm you, you turn the news off and the noise goes away and you're not hearing about the tyranny and the warfare and the famine and the death. You're just with those you love. That's often the greatest respite we have from the great tribulation, is it not? 
And then is it understandable that when those people are taken from us in death, we would long to be with those people again? Is that not a reasonable thing? When grandma and grandpa are gone, the grandma and grandpa who used to bring you comfort during great times of trouble, maybe it was just high school trouble. You were all angsty. You know high school angst? Remember that? You were all angsty. Everything was bothering you, but then you found yourself in grandma and grandpa's living room for Thanksgiving, and all the troubles of high school seemed like they were gone because you were with your people. Wouldn't it be nice to see those grandparents again? Mom and dad, for some of you, are gone. Husband, wife, for some of you, are gone. Children, for some, are gone. Siblings. The ones around whom you once found the most comfort are there. Our loved ones who have died in Christ are there. They've gone out of the great tribulation. They're not in this tribulation. They're out of it. And we're going to be out of it one day. This picture of all the white, all those robed in white standing before the throne of God, that's in the sixth seal after judgment day, which means you're in this picture too. Yes, your loved ones that you love, that you miss. They are in this picture, but so are you. So am I. And that's awesome. To think of us being reunited together again, is that not awesome? Okay, now here's where you need to be careful. Why do you want out of the great tribulation? All right, I suppose we want out of the great tribulation because it's hard. Right? It'd be nice to not be suffering anymore. So being out of the great tribulation sounds nice. Is there something more for you? Do you long to be with them? Is that one of the reasons you want to be out of the great tribulation? So that you can be with them again. I don't know who they are for, you, for all of you, but you know. Is that why you want to be out of the great tribulation? So you can be with those loved ones again? Be careful with that thought. Be very, very careful with that thought. I'm not going to stand here and tell you it's bad for you to look forward to being with your loved ones who have died in Christ, who are out of the great tribulation now. I'm not saying it's bad for you to look forward to that day when you're reunited with them. But remember this. Being with them is not the thing. It can't be the thing. It never has been the thing, nor will it ever be the thing. Listen again. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? Sir, you know. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. 
That's a good translation. I like that translation. Literally, it says, he will tent with them. He will dwell with them. That's something God does not do with us now, not in all his glory. Because if he did, we'd be dead on the spot. But that Old Testament picture of the tabernacle, that portable tent, that was a picture of God wanting to dwell with his people. His glory was hidden in that most holy place where they could not see him or they would die. But God was already teaching his people, I want to dwell with you. The goal is that you would dwell with me and that I would dwell with you. That's the goal. And clothed in white, washed by the blood of the lamb, that's what you will have. Yes, you'll be with those people and thank God for it, but you will be with him. You will be with your God. You will be with the lamb. I always try to remind young couples when I'm working with them before marriage, this is not a forever love. I know that's a a popular American thing to say. Our love is a forever love. Nonsense. You can love one another in a Christian sense into eternity. But you will not be married in heaven, and there's a reason for that. You, me, the church, we will be married to Jesus. We are his bride. It's about us being with him. And until then, God gives us baptism and Lord's Supper. And that is a really cool thing because like we talked about during the children's devotion, right away when you're baptized, God gives you the robe. You're already wearing it. You're wearing the robe that's needed to stand in the presence of God, to dwell with him forever. It was given to you as a gift at your baptism. But you and I know that we wrestle with sin every single day. And so God says, I'm going to give you the blood of the lamb over and over and over again, like you are going to have here in just a few minutes, when many of you come forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. This is the one-time thing. This is the over and over thing, and they're awesome. You're about to come up here and eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus and know my robe is clean. It is pure, it is white. I'm ready. Whether God takes you out of the great tribulation on the drive home or decades from now, some of you, man alive, let's do the math real quick, looking around this room, some of these people could be alive into the 22nd century. That's nuts. But it's possible. If we have a couple of hundred-year-olders over here, a couple of these kids who are up here living into their hundreds, that's a long time. That's a lot of tribulation ahead of them, isn't it? But we long for this, for those we love, because they get the robe, and we long for this because it's the body and blood of Jesus given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And we love these things because they mean we get to be with our God. Never again will you hunger, 
Never again will you thirst. The sun will no longer beat down on you, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be your shepherd. He will lead you to springs of living water, and God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I don't know how much tribulation you have left, nor do I know how much I have left. But while we're here, we'll endure it because we have the words and promises of God, we have his promises at baptism, and we have his supper. It is more than enough to get us through. More than enough. And so we will endure in this tribulation until God calls us out of it to this wonderful scene where we will be reunited with those we love, but most importantly, where we will dwell with our God and he will dwell with us forever. Amen.